Hi there, this is Robin Argren, and I'm your host for Montessori, Creativity and the Meaning of Life. You can find all the work that I do on my links at Instagram under the handles at Robin underscore Norgren or at UBU for Life. I'd like to start with The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Resistance, by definition, is self-sabotage. But there is a parallel peril that must be guarded against, sabotage by others. When a writer begins to overcome her resistance, in other words, when she actually starts to write, she may find that those close to her begin acting strange. They may become moody or sullen. They may get sick. They may accuse the awakening writer of changing, of not being the person she was. The closer these people are to the awakening writer, the more bizarrely they will act and the more emotion they will put behind their actions. They are trying to sabotage her. The reason is that they are struggling, consciously or unconsciously, against their own resistance. The awakening writer's success becomes a reproach to them. If they can beat these de- demons, if she can beat these demons, why can't they? Often couples or close friends, even entire families, will enter into tacit compacts whereby each individual pledges unconsciously to remain mired in the same sloth in which she and her, all her cronies have become so comfortable. The highest treason a crab can commit is to make a leap for the rim of the bucket. The awakening artist must be ruthless, not only with herself, but with others. Once you make your break, you can't turn around for your buddy who catches his trouser leg on the barbed wire. The best thing you can do for that friend, and he'll tell you this himself if he really is your friend, is to get over the wall and keep motating. The best and only thing that one artist can do for another is to serve as an example and an inspiration. Now let's consider the next aspect of resistance, symptoms. Procrastination is the most common manifestation of resistance because it's easiest to rationalize. We don't tell ourselves, I'm never going to write my symphony. Instead we say, I'm going to write my symphony. I'm just going to start tomorrow. The most pernicious aspect of procrastination is that it can become a habit. We don't just put off our lives today. We put them off till our deathbed. Never forget, this very moment, we can change our lives. There never was a moment and never will be where we are without the power to alter our destiny. This second, we can turn the tables on resistance. This second, we can sit down and do our work. We get ourselves in trouble because it's a cheap way to get attention. Trouble is a faux form of fame. It's easier to get busted in the bedroom with a faculty chairman's wife than it is to finish that dissertation in the metaphysics of Motley in the novellas of Joseph Conrad. 
Ill health is a form of trouble, as are alcoholism and drug addiction, proneness to accidents, all neuroses including compulsive screwing up, and such seemingly benign foibles as jealousy, chronic lateness, and the blasting of rap music at 110 decibels from your smoke class 95 Supra. Anything that draws attention to ourselves through pain-free or artificial means is a manifestation of resistance. Cruelty to others is a form of resistance, as is the willing endurance of cruelty from others. The working artist will not tolerate trouble in her life because she knows trouble prevents her from doing her work. The working artist banishes from her world all sources of trouble. She harnesses the urge for trouble and transforms it in her work. In Henry Nouwen's book, Spiritual Direction, and his take on resistance, Active Resistance to Listening Developing ears to hear God takes time. We all have strong resistances to listening. First of all, we find it very hard to create empty spaces in our lives and to give up our occupations and preoccupations, even for a while. We suffer from a fear of empty space. We are so concerned with being useful, effective, and in control that a useless, ineffective, and uncomfortable moment scares us and drives us right back to the security of having something valuable to do. But even stronger than our fear of the empty space is our fear of actually hearing the voice of God. We know that our God is a jealous God who knows there is no other cure for our restlessness and deafness but finding our home in God. We know that God's mercy is a severe mercy that does not coddle or spoil, but cuts to the heart where truth resides. And although we are, not sad, we, we are unsatisfied and unfulfilled, we are not so sure that we want to go to the direction God might call us to go. We are not sure our self-image is the same as the image God wishes to form in us. Those who have really listened to God's voice have often found themselves being called away from families and relatively comfortable places to places they would rather not go. This is true for the Israelites who complained to Moses that the unpleasant certainty of Egypt's seemed preferable to the unpredictable wandering in the desert. And this was true for the many men and women who followed Christ and found themselves subject to persecution and painful trials. Resistance in the form of preoccupation and distraction often prevents us from seeing the truth of our lives, hearing God's voice, and living a spiritual life. To listen with obedience to the voice of God requires building up of a resistance to all the other voices that compete for our attention. Growing in faith requires a growing attentiveness to perceive where God is active and to where we are being led. One of the key questions in overcoming spiritual deafness and blindness is, where is God active in my life or community right now? There is a real tendency to think of the spiritual life 
as a life that will begin when we have certain feelings, think certain thoughts, or gain certain insights. The problem, however, is not how to make the spiritual life happen, but to see where it is actually happening. We work on the premise that God acts in this world and in the lives of individuals and communities. God is doing something right now. The chipping away and sculpting is taking place whether we are aware of it or not. Our task is to recognize that, indeed, it is God who is acting, and we are involved already in the spiritual life. A spiritual life doesn't necessarily lead to tranquility, to peace, or, or to a beautiful feeling about ourselves or how nice it is to be together with others. The chipping away process can hurt. It might mean being lonely in a place where you never wanted to go. It might lead you to a vocation you never sought. It might ask you to do uncomfortable things. Or it might ask you to obediently and routinely do comfortable things that are not very dramatic when you prefer adventure. The spiritual truth is that God is at work in each of us and in our communities and families. Often the companionship of trusted friends allows us to see how God is at work. We can't always see God's activity by ourselves. Once this reality is accepted, we are free to say, Yes, God is speaking to me. God is speaking to us. Then, if we recognize God's claim on us, slowly our eyes are opened and we begin to see what already has happened. We begin to see the greatness of God revealing itself in daily events, and our lives become a form of obedience. Obedience means, therefore, slowly allowing God's Spirit to draw us to places, some of which we might rather avoid. As Jesus said to Peter, When you were young, you walked where you liked. But when you grow old, someone else will take you where you would rather not go. John twenty one eighteen. Yes, God is a demanding God. God's love is a persistent love. And when God la- uh, demands a lot from us, it is out of divine love. From the book Deepen the Way You Live Your Life by Robin Norgren. So you want more wisdom? The foolish man seeks happiness in the distance. The wise grow it under its feet. James Oppenheim Wisdom is earned. With each hardship, there is a lesson. Each time we make the decision to be patient, learn all the details, be coached, or become an apprentice of life, we find rich soil on which to grow beautiful, well-earned success. Sometimes we have to choose to take the long way around, take our time, wait on something, save for it, earn it, when we could easily give up or decide, if it's not coming easily, it's not meant to be. Sometimes the waiting is where we find the true wisdom to be successful, true freedom of choice, even the ones that cause delayed gratification feel 
beautiful. What is the real reason you won't make a decision? Choi Ching says, It is truly said, it does not take much strength to do things, but it requires great strength to decide what to do. Is it too many ideas or not enough faith to believe? You know what to do and how to do it, or you let yourself stay in overwhelm. You are afraid to be disappointed, or you know someone who will be disappointed by this choice. Which one decision do you need to find the strength to make?